Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Last week, we began a brand new series that's going to lead us into Easter. I told you last week that the one thing that we all have in common is sin. We're all born into it. Nobody is exempt from it. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I told you that sin is the great equalizer in humanity. We looked at two men that encountered Christ. One was in Luke chapter 18. The other was in Luke chapter 19. And they were very similar. Two very rich men. Two men that for some reason they're drawn to Christ. But they have two very different responses to his presence. I told you last week that no matter what you were taught as a child, sin doesn't separate God from us. Uh, That's misleading. Sin does not separate God from us. We know that in Scripture, sin has been in the presence of God before. Sin doesn't separate God from us, but sin separates us from God. Because sin is exposed in the presence of holiness. And in his presence, we must make a choice. We have two choices. One, we will either leave the presence of God. Because sin is not going to allow us to stay there. And so we leave the presence of God. We leave that life-changing moment. Or two, we allow the presence of God to change us. To do something deep inside of each and every one of us. So let's read the, the, the verse 23 and 24 together. of Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I told you that if sin is the great equalizer in humanity, then the cross is the great equalizer of sin. It does because it's level ground at the foot of the cross and all of us have the same opportunity to come to the cross, to find God's grace, to find God's forgiveness. Next week, we're going to look at how we approach their sin the sin of other people. How do we deal with that? How do we approach that? But today, I think it's important that we look at how we approach our own sin. How do we approach our own sin? What do we do with our own sin? When it comes to sin, I have come to the conclusion that Satan has two strategies to mess you up. Now, there may be more, but this is what I have figured out with my, my, my small brain and, and, and my very small intellect. I have figured this out that... Satan has two strategies to mess you up when it comes to your sin. First of all, he wants to separate you from the presence of God by your sin. We talked about that last week. So first of all, he's trying to separate you from the presence of God because he has been separated from the presence of God by his sin. The second thing is this. He wants to convince you that you have the ability within you to reconcile your relationship with the Father. This is something that the enemy has used for years to mislead people. That you think that within yourself, that within your capabilities and your ability, that you have the the ability to reconcile yourself to the Father. Let me show you what this looks like. There was a man that died and he went to heaven. And of course, St. Peter met him at the pearly gates because every joke about heaven has St. Peter meeting you at the pearly gates, right? And so Peter looked at the man and, and he says, here's how it works. He said, you need 100 points to make it into heaven. 
He said, you will tell me all that you've done to deserve this, and I will give you a certain number of points for each thing that you've done, depending on how good it was. When you reach 100 points, you can enter. You may get to go in. You will see the streets of gold. You will be in heaven, but you've got to reach 100 points. The man said, okay, I'll give it a try. He said, how's this? I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never cheated on her. Peter said, well, that's wonderful. That's worth two points. The guy said, two points? Whew. He said, well, I attended church all my life, and I supported ministry with my tithe and with my talent. Peter said, terrific. That's certainly worth a point. One point? He said, wow, th this is a lot harder than what I thought. He said, how about this? He said, I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked in a shelter for the homeless. Peter said, now that's impressive. He said, I'm going to give you three points for that. And the man cried out. He said, three points? He said, at this rate, the only way I'll ever get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter said, that's it, 100 points you may enter. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, in order for you to move, move forward with me this morning and understand where we're heading, you've got to understand this verse. That for by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace is what has saved you, but you have to believe it because it's through faith. That means you have to believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. It means you have to believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. It means that you have to believe that, that he was crucified and that he died for our sins, and you have to believe that he was resurrected. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, believing through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God. That means you didn't do it. You didn't cause it. You didn't create the cure for this. You just received it. That's all that you can do. God says, I did this. You didn't have anything to do. All you can do is believe it. That's the only thing you can do. And I'm just handing you this gift. That through faith, you receive this gift. It's not your own doing. It is from God. Here it is. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. Here's the gift. It's for you. You know, we have such a hard time falling into grace, don't we? We do because everybody in this room is guilty of trying to earn it. We go through life and we're just trying to get it right. But we fail to realize that our futile attempts will never satisfy a hole that can only be filled by God's grace. Because of my compulsiveness, most of the time, I iron my own clothes. I do. It's not that my wife can't. She can. And she does a good job. It's just that I do a better job. It's true. It's true. It's a, it is true. And if she would tell the truth and shame the devil this morning, she would admit to you that, that I'm much more detailed. with. I want to make sure, you know, that all of the wrinkles are out. And, and, and I don't realize I'm preaching my second service this morning. So if I have any wrinkles here today, it's just... But, but it, the same thing happens every Saturday night in my household. Sometime around 10 o'clock, somebody will get up to go to the kitchen and I'll say, Hey, can you plug the iron in for me? So they'll plug the iron in, and somewhere around 10, between 10 and 10, 15, 
I will get whatever clothes I'm going to be wearing for Sunday and I will make sure that they are ironed. I'll get my pants. I'm the guy that irons jeans. I do. I'm that guy. I, I will. I'll, I'll iron the jeans. I ironed these last night. And, and I'll make sure the shirt is ironed. And, you know, I, because I like to make sure that it is done right. I want to make sure all the wrinkles are out. Now, let me tell you something. There is nothing that aggravates me anymore than when I have been ironing a shirt and I start, you know, and I, I get this side done, and you know how you just kind of keep flipping it over the ironing board, and you get to the back of the shirt, and, and you keep going, and you're ironing some more, and then you finally get to the other front part of the shirt, and you get there, and you've got all the wrinkles out. You are almost done. Everything is looking good when all of a sudden you realize that there is a stain on your shirt. You have poured all of this effort into ironing that shirt, getting all the wrinkles out. Everything is looking good. And there, in the last few moments, right before everything is done, you realize that there is a stain on the shirt. And it just ruins everything. This is one of those moments in life where I really have to pray for God's grace because it will make me mad. Mad, I hate it. That I've spent all of that time and all of that effort ironing, trying to get the wrinkles out. Only to realize that the shirt is stained. For hundreds of years, humanity tried to iron our own shirts. And some people still keep trying. It's still, it, it, it's part of how they're trying to connect with God. And no matter how good we are at it. No matter how precise we are, no matter how many wrinkles we get out of it, we still find out that after all of that effort, somewhere the shirt is still stained. We try to work our way back to God. We try to earn it with our own abilities. If we serve the right way, if we sacrifice the right animal, if we crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, then maybe, just maybe, we could be right in God's eyes. You see, the old covenant... It served a purpose. The New Testament tells us that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament of your Bible, the purpose of that is to expose sin. It is to make you aware that something is not right, that, that there's something going on in your life that is not holy, that's not acceptable in the eyes of God. But when you try and deal with your sin according to the Old Testament, according to the Old Covenant, it's a very complicated process. I don't have time to go through all of the, the Old Testament teachings and, and, and the law and the Levitical law. I don't have time to go through all of that kind of stuff. But, but I, I'm telling you, it is a very complicated process. And for the entire Old Testament, that was how humanity was trying to connect with God. God gave them laws, gave them ways that, that somehow that they could make it right for the moment. But because of, of, of how human we are and, and, and how flawed and, and, and how we often fail... The next day we would mess it up. It was always a temporary fix. There was nothing that we could do, no matter how precise we were in getting the Old Testament customs right. We would still fall right back into our sin. It was very complicated. Even though... There's this common thread where you see the Messiah coming. You see Jesus in the Old Testament. Even though it's there, it was still a very complicated process. It complicated sin. But then you get to the New Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, sin is simply simplified. 
It is. It's not as hard to deal with as it was in the Old Testament. There's this big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's very distinct that the Old Covenant complicated the process. The New Covenant simplified it. The coming of Christ simplified how we deal with sin. It's simple. We don't. We can't. We tried. We failed. The process is simple. Under the new covenant, we simply don't deal with it. He does. He paid the price. He's the one that simplified sin. Today, I want us to return back to those two same guys that we studied last week. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, and then we're going to flip over to Luke 19. I don't do this often, but I felt uh, very moved that we should go back and look at some aspects of their lives and, and look at their encounter with Christ because when we're dealing with our sin, we can learn a lot from these two individuals. The rich young ruler, and then we'll turn over and read about Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Stop just, just right there, just for a moment. Jesus is not telling him, I'm not good. That's not what he was saying. Jesus was sinless. He was very good. He was excellent. When Jesus asked this question, he's not saying, I'm not good. He is pointing out his deity to this rich young man. He is telling him, no one else is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? Don't you know that nobody else is good except for God? He's saying, I am part of the Godhead Trinity. I am part. I am divine. You can trust what I am telling you. I am God. Verse 20 says, Jesus is speaking. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept for my youth. He says, Jesus, I've kept all of these things. I've been living the law out. I've been crossing the T's and dotting the I's. I've been doing this thing the right way. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The problem with this rich young ruler is that he trusted his works more than he trusted Jesus. Everything that he had done, being a good Jewish boy, growing up into a young man, he had kept the law, he had followed the commandments. In our eyes, he would be a good member of society. This guy had done it all right. And if you can just be good and get there, this guy was a perfect candidate. But he trusted his works more than he trusted Jesus and the very words that would come out of the mouth of Jesus. Remember, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. 
And sometimes to step out on faith, you've got to be willing to do something that you've never done before. He had followed the commandments. He had honored his father and mother since he was a kid. He had done that. He did not steal. He had not committed adultery. He had not committed murder. Those were the things he had done. Those were his works and he had done them well. But here's the problem. Jesus was asking him to do something that he had never done before. And there's nothing in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament that says he would have to do this. There's nothing that says you have to sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow Jesus. There's nothing in the Old Testament that taught him that. So this was a new teaching. This was divine coming straight from the lips of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says, you are going to have to do this if you want a place in my kingdom. You're going to have to sell everything, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And when he couldn't complete the task, Scripture says he walked away from Christ, left the internship behind, left it, walked away. He was trying to find God's grace through the complicated practices of the Old Covenant. And when you trust your own abilities, eventually you will not be able to do what needs to be done. Let me show you how this worked in our household. I was a decent student in school. My mom's here today. She'll tell you, especially the last few years of high school, I, I made good grades. Really tried hard the last few years. First, couple of, or first year of high school, I, I really didn't try too hard. But, but my latter years of high school, I, I buckled down, made it happen. I had... Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry. My senior year, I just kind of coasted, didn't take a math. But I knew that stuff. As long as my kids were learning that stuff in school, oh, I could sit down with them and I could help them. I, I, I could help them understand that. But somewhere around seventh grade, they were part of the magnet program here at the middle school. Somewhere around there, it changed. And suddenly, the work became more complicated than dad's mind could remember. Suddenly, I was out of my realm. I could no longer do this under my abilities any longer. So you know what I had to do? I had to hire Jake Meacham. It took an engineer to figure out that math. He was going to have to teach my kids what I could not do. When you trust in your own abilities, eventually you will not be able to do what needs to be done. Now we turn to Luke 19. Luke 19, reading about the encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus, and we start reading at verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. and Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I can't imagine me bringing someone home and not giving Mandy a heads up. I know Mandy would be very upset with me, perturbed, ticked off, mad. I know some of you can't imagine that out of your sweet little pastor's wife. But I understand it. I get it. 
We don't like to keep a, a, a messy house. As a matter of fact, I think our house is, is pretty clean most of the time. But there's certain standards that we have, and not all of you have these standards. I know I've been to your house. But, but anyway, anyway, that's beside the point. It's a whole other sermon for a different day. We'll talk about that. And, but, but, but if I was to bring somebody home and not make Mandy aware, oh, there's going to be trouble. Matter of fact, last week, there was a couple of guys that were heading to the house with me. I sent Mandy a text and gave her a heads up. Said, hey, we're, we're leaving. We're on our way, um, you know, in case you need to straighten up or anything like that. That's just the communication that we have. She knows that I'm going to give her a heads up, that, that I'm going to let her know. Now, sometimes we're sitting around the house and the doorbell rings unexpectedly. You're not expecting any company. You know, we're laying around. I'm sitting in my recliner. You know, I've got a you know, blanket over me and my dog's in my lap and Mandy's on the couch and she's sleeping because she always sleeps on the couch. That's what she always does. And Caleb and Kendall, am I telling the truth? Yes. Caleb's over there, Kendall's somewhere and, you know, and, and doorbell rings. And when it happens, it's panic. It's panic. You ever done this? You ever had it happen to you? It's panic. We all jump up. I mean, we are dead tired. We're all just like, you know, doorbell rings and we're wide awake, man. We don't take time to fold blankets. We're shoving blankets into the ottoman. Lift it up. You're just blankets, you know, cups around the living room. Grab the cups. We take them to the sink. Mandy grabs a, a dish towel and somehow magically she lays the dish towel over the dishes in the sink and it's supposed to make all of them disappear. Like nobody knows they're there. That this towel is just hovering by itself in the sink. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I have no, I've never questioned it, never asked, asked about it, but, but it's true. This happens. And she just lays the towel over the dishes and, and somehow magically they're gone. We will grab the dog, you know, make sure that, that she's not, you know, biting at somebody's heel and barking and all this kind of stuff. We go through all of these motions really quick to make the house presentable as quick as we can. And, and finally, one of us walks to the door, we open the door and we're like... <gasps> And it's the Orkin man standing there. And he's like, I'm just here to spray the outside of the house. I was like, no, you're coming in. You're going to see this house. You're going to come in here and you're going to see all the hard work and the effort that we have put into this house. If you were coming over to our house, that's what we would do. I can't imagine what it would be like if Jesus was coming to my house. Can you imagine the work and the effort that I would put in to try and make my house presentable for Jesus? I'm not just going to shove blankets into the ottoman. No, we're going to fold them up the right way. We're going to, by the time we're done, they're going to look like a flag folded up and all, you know, we're going to present them into the ottoman. Everything's going to be so neat. Edges are going to be clean. We're going to dust the baseboards. We're going to wipe off around the sinks. Every dish is going to be washed, dried, and put away. Not left out on the counter. When you come to my house, they might be left out on the counter to dry. No, when Jesus is coming, we're going to put everything up in its place. All the clothes are going to be washed if Jesus is coming. They're going to be washed. They're going to be dried. They're going to be folded. They're going to be hung up. They're, everything is going to be put away. If Jesus is coming, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to pull weeds. I'm going to make sure that everything is looking good. I'm going to mow the yard. I'm going to weed eat. I'm going to edge. I'm going to use my hedge trimmers and make sure the, you know, all, the, all the hedges are, are straight across. You know, I'm going to make it look as good as I possibly can. We're going to get the blower out. We're going to blow off the sidewalks. 
If Jesus is coming, I want some time to prepare because I don't want him walking in and just seeing my mess. I just don't want him walking in and seeing all the stuff laying around. Matter of fact, if Jesus is coming, I've thought about this. I've thought about it too hard, actually. If Jesus is coming, I'm going to give my dog a shot of NyQuil. And I'm just going to put her in her bed over in the corner where when Jesus gets there, he's like, man, what a well-behaved dog you have. Thanks, Jesus. Did it all myself. Some of you need to do that to your kids. But... I'm not joking, but yeah. Um, I want some time to prepare if Jesus is coming. Does that make sense? I don't want him to see a guitar case shoved under the bed or a shoebox shoved under the bed. I don't want him seeing how I really live. I want him to see it all looking right, like I've got everything together and, and, and that I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm putting forth the right effort and amount of effort. But Zacchaeus didn't have that opportunity. He didn't have time to trust in his own abilities. Because Jesus said, hurry. He didn't say, take your time. He said, hurry and come down. Get out of that tree because today I'm going to your house. He didn't have time to send a messenger up ahead and tell his wife, get everything ready. Beat the kids now, you know. He didn't have time to do all that. Sweep the dust off the floors. Now Jesus said, I'm coming right now. You don't have time to trust in your abilities. You don't have time to clean up your act. You don't have time to, to get it all together in your life. I'm on my way right now. Acts 13 and 39 says, by him... Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. Everything that you could not accomplish in the Old Testament. The complicated standards when it comes to sin. Everything that you couldn't figure out when it comes to the New Covenant and the New Testament by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That means when Jesus shows up, you don't have to worry about your lacking effort. You don't have to worry about how many times you've failed. You see, some of us, we think Jesus is coming to, to make us good. Jesus isn't coming to make us good. He already said, unless you're divine, you're not good. He's not coming to make us good. He's coming to save our lives. Amen. You're not capable of doing that, but yet we will go through the motions day in and day out, and we hope we will fail, and then we will try and get it all together. We will put on our Sunday best, and we will show up here, and we'll raise our hands, and we'll worship, knowing we're putting on a facade in front of everybody. Because just yesterday we failed. We didn't get it right. And we walk out of here feeling so guilty because we're trying to do it in our own efforts. Let me tell you, you want true freedom in worship? You want to know that you can raise your hands and that you can, you can stand there redeemed? Then quit trying to do it yourself and just receive what he's already did for you. One of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my life. It's great. It's fantastic. If I would have had a video camera with night vision on this night, I could have made $10,000 like that, no doubt in my mind. Greatest thing that I've ever seen. One night, 
I'm walking up the ramp at the, the offices across the street. And I hear these kids coming down the sidewalk on their bicycles. And they're coming down the sidewalk, and I'm just hearing them, you know, just kind of, kind of talking and, you know, laughing, having fun. It's, it's dark. There's no street lights on, nothing. And as these kids are going down the sidewalk, one of them decides that he's going to pass the rest of them. Remember now, it is dark, pitch dark, black. This kid leaves the sidewalk. He gets on the grass that's in between the sidewalk and the road. And he, through his own ability and effort, he is going to try and get ahead of everybody else. He's going to pass them, get closer to the destination. That's what he's going to do. And so as he begins to pass them, what he doesn't realize in that, that, that darkness there where it's pitch black is that there is a black pole and a mailbox that's right there in his path. Greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Funniest thing. I, it was everything within me whenever I heard, bam, ugh. And the rest of his friends kept going, and I'm standing there going, I need to go check on him. So I went running over there, and I stood over the kid. And by now, one of his friends is like, you know, he's not with us. And he called everybody back, and, and I'm standing over this kid, and I'm like, are you all right? He was like, I think so. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? Yeah, I think so. And the kid gets up. He picks up his bike. If you were, when you leave here today, I want you to look at that black mailbox. The mailbox was laying on the ground. I picked it back up, stuck it back in the ground. But there is a permanent dent in the side of the mailbox where this kid hit it. Greatest thing ever, I'm telling you. <laughs> kid gets up. He has his bicycle. He doesn't ride off. He's limping and, and pushing his bicycle down the sidewalk while the rest of his friends are going. Here's what life is like. Under your own ability and your own effort, when you try and reach the destination, when you try and jump on out ahead, when you try and do it under your own ability, you are riding a, bar, a, a bike in the sidewalk in the dark is what you're doing. And what you don't see that there's in the darkness, there are things coming that are going to collide with you. And because you're trying to do it under your own ability, it is going to take you out. You are going to crash and burn as long as you try and do it under your own ability. And that's why. Today, more than ever, I need to lean on the cross because I'm starting to figure out under my own ability, I fail miserably. But with him, when I put it back on him and I realize that the cross is not in vain, that it, it was done, it happened for me. That's when I learn to succeed. That's when I get to where I'm going. That's when I learn to keep it on two wheels. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.